Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Coming out of that device and going right back into it, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I, I'm going to describe it as privileged. That's how I think of it. To know a lot of musicians. And at, at, at some point in a conversation with most musicians, except, you know, I don't know the, like the, I don't know anybody in a boy band. It's a confession I've never made before, but that's what radio is for and podcasting. But uh, at some point in a conversation with almost any musician, you will hear the plaint that it's harder than probably any time since the advent of at least recorded music for musicians to make a living, to to get paid for what they do and, and to be able to get paid enough to, you know, have something other than a cardboard box at a major intersection as a residence. Here's the good news this week. A new study, according to the Washington Post, says the U.S. recorded music market is no longer in free fall. <laughs> stopped. Revenue has stopped plunging. The beatings have stopped. The beat didn't go on. The beatings didn't go on. In fact, music sales revenue posted double-digit growth last year, its biggest gain in almost two decades. That's, of course, seen as a good news in an industry ravaged by the decline of traditional CD and album sales. The most eye-catching details, the rise of digital streaming. Money from Spotify, Apple Music, and Pandora make up, makes up almost 52% of industry revenue. And they haven't really even learned to steal like the record. I mean, sorry. For the first time, stealing, streaming is the dominant revenue source. Five years ago, streaming accounted for just 9% of U.S. music revenue. Streaming pays fractions of a penny each time a song is played online. Those fractions can add up for extremely popular acts. But the industry has been fretting about trading the $10 CD CD for the .0005 cents or so each time a track is played online. The new report from the RIAA, those are the nice people that used to uh, arrest kids for using Napster, was cheered as a sign that streaming can work for recording artists. Streaming revenue jumped 68% last year. Growth from paid music streaming subscriptions leaped. 114%. A paid subscription, you may not be surprised to learn, generally pays a greater royalty to artists for each song. But for all the cheerleading surrounding streaming in the $7.7 billion U.S. recorded music market, there's plenty of continued worry about whether digital streams can sustain a music-making thing. Revenue grew 11.5% last year. The music industry is still earning just half of what it did 15 years ago. In the harsh jargon of Wall Street, as quoted by the Washington Post, some worry last year's bump in revenue might just be a dead cat bounce. Hello, welcome to the show.
things were getting depressing. Hard to shake free of our cares. Couldn't buy my car on credit. Baby was selling her shares. Guys in suits were on my TV meeting just to say they'd met. Then just when it seemed the darkest, here comes the best news yet. They were doing a dead cat bounce, just watching the big bulls pounce. When only one day counts, that's when you do the dead cat bounce. You know, two days later we would slide in, right back into the hole. Red arrows pointed downward, warnings blacker than coal. Baby was pruning her Christmas list, eBay had my guitar. Sure didn't feel like dancing, till we heard this noise from afar. They were doing the dead cat bounce, stocks rising obscene amounts. Only in my dream account, could we do the dead cat bounce. Day wonders and shooting stars, instant karma and mini bars. Now it's here, now it's gone. Only thing growing is my neighbor's lawn. Well, now I'm scuffling for groceries. Baby's hooking for rent. The checks they say were in the mail, but the mail was never sent. You can bounce a dead cat forever, but it's only gonna go up once. Everybody's a genius, till everybody's a dunce. They were doing the dead cat bounce, sipping deep from fantasy spouts. They were buying hope by the ounce. They were doing the dead cat bounce. Let's all do the dead cat bounce. Sad reality, we'll all trounce. Even while the misery mounts, we'll be doing the dead cat, the dead cat, the dead cat bounce. From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless. More of them every day, some of them on the radio. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it last week? Was it just last week that uh, I talked to you on this show about the burgeoning? There's a Newsweek word. A uh, problem of uh, forfeit uh, asset forfeiture. At the hands of the DEA. Well, it's not just the DEA. Come on, everybody can get in on this. The Internal Revenue Service has seized millions of dollars in cash from individuals and businesses who obtained the money legally. That's according to a new report from the Inspector General at the Treasury Department. He works for Manukin. What are you Manukin there? The report covers IRS cash seizures against businesses and individuals suspect- suspected of deliberately trying to avoid federal reporting requirements for large bank deposits, as you know, uh, because smug drugglers and uh, other and terrorists and people like that uh, might want to deposit large amounts of cash. There's a federal law or requirement or regulation against uh, depositing more than $10,000 without the bank having to report it to the feds. So... Uh, intentionally splitting up large sums of cash into sub-$10,000 
dollar amounts to avoid that reporting requirement is known as structuring and is illegal under the Bank Secrecy Act. But many business owners engaged in perfectly legal activities may be unaware of that law. How could you not be? Were you unaware of it until I just mentioned it? Others are covered by insurance policies that don't cover cash losses that greater than $10,000. Still others want to avoid extra paperwork and keep their deposits less than ten grand on the advice of bank employees or colleagues. The uh, reporting requirements, quote, were not put in place just so that the government could enforce the, recording, the reporting requirements, as the IG's report puts it. it was, it's there in order to detect serious criminal activity. According to the report, though, that's exactly what happened to the IRS in recent years. The IRS pursued hundreds of cases from 2012 to 2015 on suspicion of structuring, but with no indications of connections to any criminal activity. Simply depositing cash in sums of less than $10,000 was all that it took to arouse the suspicions of IRS agents, leading to the eventual seizure and forfeiture of millions of dollars, Tom, millions of dollars, mm-hmm, of cash from people not otherwise suspected of criminal activity. The IG took a random sample of almost 280 IRS forfeiture actions in cases where structuring was the primary basis for seizure. In 91% of those cases, the cases the individuals and businesses had obtained their money legally. Tom? Legally. Right. Sounds even more compelling when you say it. Compelling. Yeah. Most people impacted by the program did not appear to be criminal enterprises engaged in other alleged illegal activity, according to the IG's office. Rather, they were legal businesses such as jewelry stores, restaurant owners, gas station owners, scrap metal dealers, and others. Unquote. More troubling, the report found that the pattern of seizures targeting businesses that had obtained their money legally was deliberate. Quote, one of the reasons legal source cases were pursued was that the Department of Justice, under Eric Holder, I believe, had encouraged task forces to engage in quick hits where property was more quickly seized and more quickly resolved through negotiation rather than pursuing cases with other criminal activity, which are more time-consuming because, you know, trials. Because trials. In most cases, the report found agents followed a protocol of seize first, ask questions later. Agents only questioned individuals and business owners after they had already seized their money. Well, that's an incentive to answer quickly. In many cases, the property owners provided plausible explanations for their pattern of deposits. These explanations were disregarded or ignored. According to the IG, we found no evidence that attempted to verify the property owner's explanations. We don't know how large a percentage of all forfeitures these structuring cases are because the IRS doesn't publish that information, and it has denied requests under the Freedom of Information Act to make it public. Well, if you don't have anything to hide... Go hide it. News of the Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now news of our friend, the Atom. He's our friend. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Eddie the Atom is back from wherever he's been. Where have you been? I was uh, getting my protons botoxed. You don't sound proud. I don't sound embarrassed. Do I? 
Deadline, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Operators have powered down the reactor at Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station to comply with temperature limits on water being discharged out of the plant into Cape Cod Bay. Water's too warm. The water's too warm. 500 million gallons are allowed to be drawn daily out of the bay. The feds require that the water leaving the plant after the use to cool the plant. To boil water to make steam, to make electricity. Yeah, right. Be no more than 32 degrees hotter than the water temperature in the bay. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Bay temperatures were at 40 degrees a week ago, limiting the exit temperature to 72 degrees. Plant workers powered Pilgrim down. How could it be that it's Massachusetts? Where it will likely remain, 97%, that is, where it will likely remain for at least one more day. The, at least, the increased discharge temperature is believed to be related to the work done on the plant's condenser system, which contains 35,000 tubes filled with seawater and converts steam back into water for the reactor. Making water into steam and steam into water takes time and money. I guess it does. And atoms. After a single tube was found to be leaking, hundreds were plugged in February. With the proactive tube plugging, pardon me expression, I do, the condenser is working harder, which can increase temperatures. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission spokesperson said the presence of seaweed, algae, and small clams could also be affecting the condenser's efficiency. Maybe they should take him to small clams court. I am so glad you're back. The Westinghouse Electric Company, which helped drive the development of nuclear energy, has filed for bankruptcy protection, casting a shadow over the global nuclear industry. We're not afraid of shadows. The shadow knows. The filing comes as the company's corporate parent, Toshiba of Japan, is scrambling to staunch huge losses stemming from Westinghouse's troubled nuclear construction problems in the southern United States. The future of those projects, which once seemed to be golden, is in doubt. Gold's not what it used to be. This is a fairly big and consequential deal, said a senior research scholar at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia. You've had some power companies and big utilities come in financial trouble, but this kind of thing hasn't happened. Westinghouse which in years past symbolized America's supremacy in nuclear power, now illustrates its problems. Many of the industry's injuries are self-inflicted. Like mine. Such as a disastrous deal for a construction business that was intended to control costs and instead precipitated the events that led to the filing. Overall, Toshiba has been widely criticized for overpaying for Westinghouse. But much of what went wrong was beyond either company's control. Slowing demand for electricity and tumbling prices for natural gas have eroded the economic rationale for nuclear power. We'll hear about more reasons why in a moment. Westinghouse's problems are already reducing Japan's footprint in nuclear power, an industry it has nurtured for decades in the name of energy security. I guess you can't be sure if it's Westinghouse. Wow, I didn't know you were that old. I didn't either. The final price for the completion of the third and fourth blocks of the Mojovice nuclear power plant in Slovakia will increase for the fourth time. The shareholders approve the new budget. The price tag will <laughs> rise by $856,000 to $5.8 according to the local newswire. 
in Slovakia. Original plan said the uh, four blocks of the nuclear power plant would cost $30 billion. And new deadlines have been approved for completion. I bet they're later than the early ones. Of course they are. That's why they're new. The Nuclear Regulation Authority in Japan has postponed a decision on whether to approve decommissioning plans for five old reactors, raising questions about whether deadlines for scrapping the units can be met. The decommissioning is eventually expected, but for now the NRA will continue discussions with four operators of the plants. It's unclear how long it'll take, according to the Japan Times, until final approval is granted. The decommissioning plans dealing with spent fuel and waste disposal are meeting the safety regulations, but the operators need to show they can scrupulously carry out safety management because the size of the problem is such it cannot be taken care of in a simple manner, said the chairman of the Nuclear Regulation Authority of Japan. There are lingering concerns that initial cost estimates may prove to be too low. That never happens. Another related concern is the matter of where the nuclear waste could go. Spent fuel and other waste from decommissioned reactors would have to be housed for up to 30 years. Uh, sorry, 50 years. It's raising all the time, right? Yes, before it's removed for final disposal. Efforts to build such midterm storage facilities have stalled. The central government in Japan is hard-pressed to find towns and villages willing to, to host nuclear waste repositories. That's so unlike anywhere else in the world. They could have them at your house, right? If I had a house. Tokyo Electric Power, TEPCO, has failed to locate the melted nuclear fuel inside the number one reactor at Fuk in a robot probe, though it found higher levels of radiation toward the bottom of the reactor container vessel. Maybe the fuel is down there. Yeah. Yeah. And an international team representing nuclear power regulators from France, Canada, the United States, Finland, Britain, and China has warned that the culture of credibility at the Lou Crusoe Forge, this is a, a manufacturing facility of the French nuclear company Arriva, the credibility culture remained below expectations even, after, even two years past the discovery of anomalies at their reactor expansion project. According to Reuters, the inspection team noted that paperwork at the forge continued to show evidence of the use of correcting fluid, even though it has been banned on site. The report said supervisors and workers at the forge, which was inspected last December, did not understand the nature of the problems that began with the discovery of high-carbon anomalies at the reactor, reactor containment vessel bottom at Flamanville, a reactor expansion project that was discovered two years ago. Since then, it has been made public that an internal review conducted by Arriva found more than 400 paperwork irregularities dating back to 1965. Arriva has closed down the forge temporarily. What? Why do you think they call it a forge? They do forgeries. News of the Atom, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I uh, mentioned, as Atty spins out the door, I'd mentioned that there was more information about why nuclear power was not a great economic prospect or didn't face great economic prospects at this point in time. This, this week, from the United Nations and Bloomberg New Energy Finance, stunning drops in the cost of wind and solar energy have turned the global power market upside down. 
Unsubsidized renewables have become the cheapest source of new power by far in more and more countries. In just one year, the cost of solar generation worldwide dropped on average 17%. The average cost for onshore wind pardon me, dropped 18% last year. Those for offshore wind fell 28%. The result is more bang for the buck, as the UN and BNEF put it. After the dramatic cost reductions of the past few years, explained the chairman of the BNEF, unsubsidized wind and solar could provide the lowest cost new electrical power in an increasing number of countries, even in the developing world, sometimes by a factor of two. It's a whole new world, he said. Instead of having to subsidize renewables, now authorities may have to subsidize natural gas plants to help them provide grid reliability. And while we're on the subject of the earth, this little blue ball that we're playing on, us blue ball players. Soft listening to the warm. We can listen to the warm. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Ice caps in Greenland have lost their natural capacity to contain and refreeze meltwater from, you know, like glaciers. Like glaciers and stuff? The mechanism of ice caps to remain stable broke down around 1997 when the snow cover on the ice caps became completely saturated with refrozen meltwater. Having passed a tipping point, uh uh-oh, the rate of mass loss of the ice caps has accelerated irreversibly. That's the conclusion of climate researchers from Utrecht University, published in Nature Communications. New research from the University of Hawaii at Manoa reveals a large part of heavily urbanized areas of Honolulu and Waikiki are at risk of groundwater inundation, flooding that occurs as groundwater is lifted above the ground surface due to sea level rise. The lead author of the study and her colleagues developed a computer model that combines ground elevation, groundwater location monitoring data, estimates of tidal influence, and numerical groundwater flow modeling to simulate future flood scenarios in the urban core as sea level rises three feet. That's what's predicted for this century under certain climate change scenarios. This flooding will threaten $5 billion worth of taxable real estate, flood nearly 30 miles of roadway, and impact pedestrians, commercial and recreation activities, tourism, transportation, and infrastructure, said the researcher. The flooding will occur regardless of seawall construction and thus will require innovative planning and intensive engineering efforts to accommodate standing water in the streets. And 86% of active cesspools in the area, this is in Hawaii, in the urbanized parts of Hawaii, will be inundated by groundwater. So enjoy the cesspool sharing. It's a sharing economy. You're sharing the cesspools. Last year in Paris, for the very first time, English sparkling wine. Blech. Ooh, it beat champagne in a blind tasting event. That is blind. Well-established French champagne houses have started buying fields in Britain to grow grapes. Even the royal family is investing in this new venture, according to fizz.org, a physics website. At the same time, coffee-growing regions are shrinking and shifting. Farmers are being forced to move to higher altitudes as the band in which to grow tasty coffee 
moves up the mountain. The evidence that climate change is affecting some of our most prized beverages is simply too great to be ignored. And human societies and a multitude of species are going to be tested by climate change in ways that are barely understood. That's according to a wide-ranging study involving researchers from 44 institutions around the world. On this little blue ball, species in every ecosystem are being affected by rising temperatures and shifting rainfall patterns. Marine animals are moving poleward at an average pace of 72 kilometers a decade, land-based ones at 17 kilometers a decade. The paper was published in the journal Science. I read it for the staples. Movement of mosquitoes in response to global warming is a threat to health in many countries through predicted increases in the number of known and potentially new diseases. I, for one, welcome our new diseases. Malaria is already at risk for about half of humanity. We welcome the other half. Food security is also at risk from the spread of plant pathogens and other pests. Plant pathogens wouldn't be so bad. You ditch. This is going to impact on a lot more than you think said a rainforest ecologist and one of the paper's authors. Some species, of course, can adapt by moving either to higher ground or cooler waters, but um, not all can, you know, like the ones that are planted in the earth. Human populations, too, are limited in how they can move depending on how tightly national boundaries are enforced. Well, that's not happening. Lemuroid ringtail possums inhabit the wet tropics rainforests. They'll die if exposed to just four hours of 29-degree temperatures in Australia. They, uh, they can't move, perhaps. We're going way outside the boundaries of our natural variability more than we appreciate, said Stephen Williams, the author, one of the authors of the papers. He says heat waves, if they coincide with dry conditions, that never happens. Will with little Mr. Cloud, can literally crash a population in a number of days, suddenly becomes in completely unlivable. Much like the 405. I'm sorry for a 405 joke, ladies and gentlemen, I really am. The shifting of the range of creatures poses challenges for conservation efforts because endangered species may exit areas set aside for their protection as they seek more hospitable habitat. Some, in some cases, a threatened species will enter a region where it wasn't previously found, becoming an invading species, where by law it must be exterminated, said the author. It all sounds cool. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
we're all looking for the answers. We're all searching for the blame. Well, let's start by looking in the mirror. 'Cause inside we're all the same. Inside we're all the same. From the home of the homeless, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, the Los Angeles bid for the 2024 Olympics is getting a lot of Facebook likes. Suddenly, not from Los Angeles. More than a million Facebook users like the idea of hosting the 2024 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Many of them are from Pakistan. A report prepared for the Associated Press says most of LA's likes have come in the past six weeks from areas far away from Southern California. Quote, the fan growth evolution for the L.A. 2024 Facebook page does seem suspicious, says analyst Michaela Bronova, whose Prague-based firm Social Bakers drew up the report. Countries such as Bangladesh and Pakistan suddenly spike from almost zero to tens of thousands of fans within a few days in February. Well, it's, it's cold there in February. They, L.A. campaign spokesman Jeff Millman said there's nothing suspicious about the figures. He said L.A. kicked off a series of Facebook ads starting February 3rd. The scale and the mechanics of the campaign weren't made clear. He declined to divulge how much L.A. 2024 had spent. But he noted that Facebook ads were more efficient in countries where there are fewer competing brands. So why not Zaire? Dude. He argued it made sense to seek fans internationally. We're a global campaign. The global, the Olympic movement is global, he said. By the end of 2016, Los Angeles had 209,000 likes, nearly all from the United States, according to Social Bakers. Paris had 62,000 fans, 80% from France. By last week, both sides' figures had grown. Paris tripled its following. Four out of five came from France, many of the others originating in former French colonies. But since the United States never... <laughs> Had 
Los Angeles saw an explosion in support from Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nepal, Indonesia, Egypt, India, and Afghanistan. Are they on the no entry list? Isn't that nutty? Some of them are. More than 700,000 of the 1 million accounts that liked LA 2024's Facebook page had done so within the past six weeks. Social media support has been invoked as a selling point by the LA bid. Paris 2024 officials declined to comment and Facebook declined comment, declined comment, saying in an email, it was up to advertisers to disclose how they promote their pages. The International Olympic Committee did not offer any comment. The group's rules of conduct note that promotion of a city's bid must take place, quote, with dignity and moderation. And Pyeongchang 2018 have announced that the workforce at next year's Winter Olympics will be known as the Passion Crew. More than 87,000 people will be members of the crew working around the Olympics and Paralympics. This will con uh, commemorate Pyeongchang's passion-connected slogan. The Passion Crew will be the face of the Games. By giving this collective group a name, it creates unity in their efforts and a one-team ethos throughout all 54 functional areas, said the Pyeongchang 2018 president, Lee Hee-boom Byum. Members of the Passion Crew will be taught welcome gestures, uh-oh, and messages to interact with athletes and fans at the games. Ari Ari, a Korean word used to cheer on sports teams, will be used with the English translation, making a road where there is no road. Also making hotel where there is no hotel. It's been repeated dozens of times by economists, hosting the Olympics is not usually a good deal for cities. Really? The point was proved again in the case of last summer's games in Rio de Janeiro. It left the organizing committee $32 million in debt. With the cash flow low, the committee has had to turn to another method to pay off its vendors. Trade. According to Bloomberg, the committee is offering up used air conditioners, electrical cables, and other random materials in lieu of cash money. We're confident we will come to an agreement and we will honor our commitment, says 2016 Rio's head of communications, Mario Andrada. He added that along with the stuff, the committee is still planning on procuring more cash to make its last payments. It's unclear, however, when that will come through or, well, where it will come from. The committee has until June to settle its debts. If it doesn't, the debts will then be passed on to local and state governments, and the committee will be disbanded. And a local and state governments means taxpayers. Brazil's economy is in bad shape right now. It was left even worse off after the Olympics, which cost billions to organize and run. The infrastructure costs alone ran between 15 and 20 billion. Rio is in the worst condition in 20 years, says a professor of sociology at the State University of Rio. You have an economic crisis, a political crisis, a moral crisis. There's a general perception of a very dark time. Perception is everything is deteriorating. A local prison, that's unquote him, a local prison recently couldn't even afford mattresses for his inmates. The Olympics did come in handy in that particular situation. The committee sent old mattresses and blankets from the Olympic Village to the jail, according to Bloomberg. One current inmate of the jail is the former governor of Rio, Sergio Cabral. He helped the city win the bid in 2009, and then he was arrested last November for allegedly organizing a group that made $66 million in bribes connected to state government contracts, some of which involved 
the Olympics, said Andrada of the former governor of Rio. He's probably sleeping on an Olympic mattress now. Recycling. It's a new Olympic sport because it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know that the United States launched an attack, launched 59 cruise missiles against a Syrian Air Force base suspected by the United States, fingered by the United States for being the starting point for an attack on Idlib with supposedly chemical weapons. The United States has said we're confident of that. Russia says no. But of course, since Donald Trump is a puppet of the Russians, he has to, oh, sorry. Um, and some 80 people died. You saw their pictures, the video of them. So did Donald Trump. That was his explanation for why he ordered the Pentagon to uh, come up with a plan to attack that Air Force base from which planes flew the very next day to do something else. This was a week in which there were flurries of news stories being leaked by partisans of one side or another in an apparent White House power struggle between the so-called nationalists headed by former Breitbart News Chief Executive Steve Bannon and the um, globalists, as they're derisively described by the Bannon circle, uh, led by Jared Kushner, the husband of Ivanka Trump, who coincidentally enough, or not, was uh, carrying out a a visit to one of his new responsibilities this week, in addition to his responsibility for innovation in government. He's uh, now responsible for Iraq, too. Lucky, lucky, lucky guy. The uh, President, <laughs> President Trump, um, after ordering the uh, attack on Syria, for which he got bipartisan support, ladies and gentlemen, which just proves something, then flew down to Mar-a-Lago in Florida to have a one-day meeting with the president of China, Xi Jinping. He, of course, as we all know, replaced Hu Jintao in 2013. The Chinese spokespeople and U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson released statements saying that they uh, both sides were really pleased with the meeting. Yes, that took a while to tell you. It, it, it can be done faster. This week, for the first time, a businessman turned president has turned president in the way most people understand, by bombing something. And the team members struggle as never before to understand who's on first. Steve. Yep. You've cleaned up nicely. Sponge bath. Good. You've been busy? Mm. It's not easy breaking down decades of encrusted entitlement. And that's just in the White House cafeteria. I know. It may not seem like it, but uh, 
I'm having my troubles, too. Oh, it seems like it, all right, sir, but it's not your fault. If you ask me, and I know you didn't. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you let the Jared Kushners of the world take this enterprise off course. You're critical of Jared. Yeah, I love him like a brother. A liberal, democratic brother who's trying to destroy everything we're building here. You know, I like to hear what people have to say about how other people are doing. I know. It's part of the format. But you also know nothing is more important to me than family. Well, except... Except I have, but aside from that, mm -hmm. you've been tasked with doing a lot of things. I've tried my best. Call this place a swamp as a, an insult to swamps. Good. This week, your task is to not do something. Okay. I want you to step down from the national security thing. Council? Right. Walk away from it. Spend more time with your family. I don't have a family. Then spend less time with them. But you have to leave the NSC. Never went to the meetings anyway. Then it should be easy. Is this because of Jared? Steve, do I look like the kind of person who does the last thing one of his relatives tells him to do before I see you? It's me saying I'm stepping down from it, right? Sure. You could say you were there to watch over Mike Flynn, and since he's gone, there's no more watching over to do. You can do this, right? Have you ever seen me flinch? Maybe you just hide your flinching well. So? This is me, stepping off the NSC. Unflinchably. Jaren is always putting on this nice guy persona. Which I could do if I wanted to. And of course, he's buffing Ovaka. Which I could also do if I wanted to. Jared, I understand that uh, Steve called me a cuck while I was in Iraq. I don't even know what that means. Do you care? Well, more important, Iraq under control? Because Syria's a mess. Iraq's okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to live there. Cuck is shorthand for cuckold conservative. Okay. Short version sounds nastier. It's supposed to. Good. The battle for Mosul is going to get nasty. Mm. It's already pretty bad. Can you keep it off the news? As long as Syria's a mess, I think so. I mean, it's nothing I'm doing. It's just, you know, the media. I call them the fake media. They love it. <laughs> so look, you have a rough task this week. Oh, by the way, we've innovated a new way for the post office to sell stamps. They just update the chip in your hand. Who's got a chip in their hand? That's the next thing. Okay. Here's the deal. Mm -hmm. You and Steve have to work together. You're a team. Teams work together. That's why there's no me and team. Well, there is, but it's backward and separated it's by... It's separated, it's not separated, whatever. Can you meet with Steve and bury the thing? You, you have buy-in from him? He'll do it, believe me. He's not the happiest camper in the trailer park right now. Sure. As long as he knocks off the behind-the-back slurs. I'm no cuck. You can work it out with him. I got TV to watch. I'll make peace with Steve easy. The next time I'm out of town and I hear about him leaking to his little alt-right pals, I'm going straight to Ivanka. 
Rex, big week. Yes, sir. We're bombing Syria. I heard from Jared. You know why, right? Well, you saw those pictures. Beautiful little babies. Nobody told me they were doing that. I think we put it in one of your briefing books. But you didn't put the pictures in there. Next time... The, the pictures will be in there. Good. Now, about this China meeting. Mm -hmm. The president has been prepared and is expecting a productive day of talks. You're not talking about me. No, sir. She. Who? She, the president. I, I thought the president was who? That was the previous president. We arranged the briefing books with the idea in mind that uh, you go all the way to the end. <laughs> That's what she said. The president? Who? Sir, <laughs> President Xi is expecting a productive day of talks. She is? He is. Who? Not who, she. Okay, look. I need you to come out at the end of all this and say, you know, the Secretary of State stuff. Can you do it? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I signed up for. Of course, I could use some help, some assistant secretaries and some deputy secretaries, some institutional support. Jared doesn't seem to need it. He's not running an actual department. Not yet. I... So, can you fulfill your task? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, good luck with President Xi. But, uh, just making sure, mm -hmm. she's a he, right? Who is? No, she is. Well, who is, too? Okay, fine. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make bombing great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. This week, you won't believe what happens next. You'll never really see her 
burning fire. What do you find? Freedom is her one desire. Look in her eyes and see the gentlemen the apologies of the week from this week think of it so sorry. the skincare brand Nivea has set off a controversy with an ad featuring the phrase quote white is purity finding itself accused unquote finding itself accused of racial insensitivity over a campaign that seemed to be embraced by white supremacists think of that the latest ad which showed a woman with dark hair cascading down her back best place for it, and wearing white in a brightly lit room, promoted its uh, deodorant. Beersdorf, the German company that owns Nivea, has since deleted the ad, which appeared with, keep it clean, keep bright, don't let anything ruin it, hashtag invisible, as part of its post. We are deeply sorry to anyone who may take offense to this specific post, the company said in a statement. Diversity and equal opportunity are crucial values of Nivea. The advertisement, which was on Nivea's Middle East Facebook page, was being discussed with racist comments on a chat room devoted to such. Posted on Twitter next to a picture of Pepe the Frog, a cartoon tied to anti-Semitism and racism that's become a mascot for the alt-right. The user wrote, Nivea has chosen our side. Even after Nivea apologized, consumers were dissatisfied. A Beersdorf representative said the ad was part of a broader campaign for the deodorant in the Middle East that linked the color black with strength and white 
with purity. Quote, we never intended to hurt anybody or to raise any wrong interpretation, spokesperson said. Deadline San Diego, San Diego's professional ultimate Frisbee team. Yes, the Growlers is receiving backlash after hosting a pole dancing fitness routine during a halftime performance. The Growlers apologized after being criticized online. The team's trainer has a wife who runs the Sexy Beast Studio, the dancing company which the performers belong to. According to the studio's website, it's San Diego's premier pole studio for you to get fit, find your sexy, and have fun all in one place. And then take it to the Growlers. Masahiro Imamura, minister in charge of reconstructing the disaster hit Tohoku region in Japan, has apologized for raising his voice to a freelance journalist at a news conference who demanded questions on the government's support for Fukushima evacuees. He was repeatedly asked how the central government was planning to help those who voluntarily evacuated from areas near the crippled nuclear power plant, even though their towns and places of residence had not been designated as mandatory evacuation zones. After an, an emotional outburst, which included, never come here again, saying that to the reporter, after which the minister left the room, he apologized later the day for his emotional outburst and said he would not repeat his behavior. But he did not apologize for his explanation of the central government's policy. He said Our voluntary evacuees should bear self-responsibility for their own decisions on whether they return to their hometowns or not, and probably should bear responsibility for whether they decide to be irradiated. A Dutch retailer has been forced to apologize after it unwittingly sold a color-by-numbers book featuring Adolf Hitler. The dictator was pictured making a Nazi salute and wearing a swastika armband. How uncharacteristic. Krudvat, the Dutch drugstore chain stocking it, said they deeply regretted the incident and immediately withdrew the product. The book was produced in India, and it's, it remains unclear why Hitler was included. My suspicion is the man who created the coloring book got a book of famous people out of the closet and selected a pair, which unfortunately included Adolf Hitler. Maybe he did not recognize him, said a spokesperson for the Belgian publisher. That's good news. And they don't recognize Hitler anymore. The soda company Pepsi-Cola has pulled its controversial Kendall Jenner ad after the ad triggered an immediate online backlash for using protest imagery to market the soft drink. Quote, Pepsi was trying to project a global message of unity, peace, and understanding and carbonization. Clearly, we missed the mark and we apologize, the company said. We did not intend to make light of any serious issue. We are removing the content and halting any further rollout. Pepsi also apologized to Jenner for putting her, quote, in this position, unquote. Uh, we can only hope she puts herself in a better position in the week to come. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
don't you know, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, on the USEN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave. The west coast of North America is on its own, I guess. On the mighty 104 in Berlin, on the mighty... Equally mighty Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet, at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want, at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org, available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast. It's all the rage at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. All those places to get a free podcast. Sounds unbelievable, isn't it? It's too good to be true, and yet, and it would be just like bombing somebody else and getting bipartisan support. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Show Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Imagine that. Uh, that's all at harryshearer.com. And there's no imagining necessary when you go to Twitter. I'm at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.